Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by my loyal party members, Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going? And May Finch. Hello, hello. If you couldn't tell from our attire, tip the hat here. <laughs> We're talking about The Quick and the Dead on today's episode as part of our first taste of trope soup. Very excited about that. Uh, We are also going to draw a side quest. But first, Mr. Rotondi has our film word of the day, which we haven't done in a little while. So, Mr. Rotondi, what is our film term today? And can you talk us uh, through it? Hopefully I can. Uh, If I don't stumble over anything here but i really wanted to chat with you guys about the dolly zoom which is a technique that does show up in the quick and the dead uh and almost gives me vertigo and (laughs) i think it's a really interesting technique because it showed up in film as far back as hitchcock where it was kind of perfected and has since come uh, like up in other pop culture films to include jaws um I won't name off any others because I would like to hear from you guys if you've seen this technique before or think it sounds familiar, but it's basically like a recap of what exactly the dolly zoom is. You've got a camera that's usually, or at least back then, these days, probably a little bit more flexible, but back then you would have a camera that's mounted on a dolly, which is a wheeled cart that's on tracks, and you would either push the camera forward or backward. And as you're doing that, you're trying to keep the camera uh, fixed on the subject of the frame without having that size of the subject change. So you're actually zooming in or zooming out with the camera at the same time you're physically moving it. And so it looks like the subject is still, hasn't really changed much if at all, while the background gets distorted. So if the background looks like it's zooming out while the character you're looking at is actually zooming in, or, you know, if there's like that weird sort of like disorientation with how everything's arranged in the shot, then that could very well have been the Dolly Zoom. And as I mentioned, it came up in Alfred Hitchcock, uh, actually conveniently in Vertigo. <laughs> Although I think he tried it out in Rebecca a few years prior, but Vertigo is kind of like, if you're thinking of it, that's probably where it started. So, um, but yeah, so. With that in mind, and hopefully, unless there's any points that I've missed, um, have either of you seen a film that had this incorporated into it? Many. Yeah. Anything you want to, that's like memorable besides like Jaws or? Jaws is my favorite. So you kind of took that, but it's used (laughs) very famously in a scene that I won't spoil, um, but it's it's, uh, the entire scene is all about a specific character's mental um state in this sort of like ang- anxious uh state and then um they see something happen and the dolly zoom is used to tre- you know tremendous effect to show sort of the shock and um just instant terror of this particular character um so i i i love this technique and that is probably my favorite example of course besides vertigo but um like one of two of my favorite movies right there um but yeah i've seen it over and over it's one of those things that i always do the the you know dicaprio point whenever um whenever i see it because <laughs> i think when it's done well it's it's a very cool thing um i'll give an honorable mention to uh 
Goodfellas um, mm. in the scene where Henry and Jimmy are talking towards the end of the film. And it's used to sort of convey this uh, nervous energy. The walls are closing in uh, as they're talking in the diner. Um, really, really cool. But how about you, May? Do you have a instance that you like? Um, so I feel like it's usually used, like you mentioned, with Jaws to show confusion or like discombobulation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so a way it's used kind of differently that I liked is actually in everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think I'm partly picking this just because I recently rewatched it, but yeah. it's used to kind of like show the jump and transition between different universes there, which I think is a great use of it. It's also yes. very confusing to experience i'm sure so it kind of goes with the original use of the dolly but adds to it what about you Will? do you have a favorite use of this or one that stands out to you in your film repertoire uh i would say i actually like the one in this film as much as it throws me um and it does kind of i mean if they had done any more of it than they did i probably would have gotten sick because there's like you you actually mentioned dicaprio uh conveniently there's a part where his character is um i want to say it's the guy right his second to last duel right where it's i think oh geez now i can't remember the guy that he, he goes on that he fights against um is it the the con man or not con the uh, ex-con that's like escaped I, in the I want to say it is. Yeah, yeah. And so... The smelly guy? The smelly guy, yeah. Yeah, that guy, yeah. Scars, I think. Which is, yes, thank you. Oh, it was <laughs> killing me trying to think of his name. I was like, I can think of everybody else in this on the lineup. <laughs> Scars. <laughs> which is convenient because he's got a very prominent facial feature um, across his, uh, you know, his cheek and everything. But yeah, so when they're dueling at the very end and it's just like this it's sort of like a combination of using the dolly zoom to like zoom in really fast on both of them but also at a, like an angle so like a dutch angle where you're already sort of off balance and then it's just like twisting in and i'm just like okay yeah like it's it's almost too much like but it it also feels very much in keeping with sam raimi and how he likes to play around with like you know, very quick, kind of over the top camera angle work. So, yeah, I think I'd have to go with that. It's the most prominent one. It's the most relevant one, I guess, to talk about <laughs> based on what we watched. But, um, but yeah, Goodfellas definitely. That's like film school was what we taught. Where we learned about that, I think. And uh, try to feel. I guess think if there's anything else, but those probably those two off the top of my head and definitely jaws i mean the scene where he's on the beach after don't give away too much to anybody who hasn't seen the film yeah i know at least one person on this podcast has it which is i wasn't gonna say anything no one was hurt everybody was fine it's just a beautiful day at the beach there's no shark there's no shark. It's fine. So I, anyway, I thought it's... Jaws was the heartwarming tale of a young boy and a shark that become friends. It is. It's actually, uh, <laughs> it's, that's close. Sure. It's, it's about three men <laughs> that become lovers with a shark. And one of my favorite recut trailers called Three Men and a Shark. And <laughs> place it as a, as a rom-com. It is so yeah. great. Um, Must love oh Jaws. God. Must love Jaws. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Must love Jaws. I feel you. I feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> 
Anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <clears throat> so um, I, I love that we tie that into today's movie, which if you haven't guessed it, uh, as I've said already, is The Quick and the Dead. And I really excited to hear what Will has uh, in store for us because I enjoyed watching this my first time, but I liked it even more the second time. So Will, um, guide us through this uh, discussion. What do you got on the agenda for Trope Soup? <laughs> no side quest? Oh, oh duh. This yeah. is true. We wow, could. May keeping yeah. me honest. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. I'm just, that's how excited She's I like, am. Wait a minute. Jumped right over Quick it. Drop. Don't deny me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's swap over to our game view here and I will draw a side quest. That is a, that is a good shout. Chris is like, look, if there's a side quest, it's because I say there's a side quest. That's how this town is run. <laughs> <laughs> our our uh side quest is going to be known only in myth which is a it's a new one um that we we made for our um new batch of cards so here is the prompt here because i know we didn't go over these when we revealed some of the new categories uh this one is talk about a film you've seen that you can't find anywhere today um, I would also probably accept for this one a film that you're aware of um, as well. Um, so we're we're going down the obscure route here for this particular category. We already covered mine, so I think we should go. <laughs> <laughs> go, yeah, go go for it if you if you want. Well, yep. Uh, have either of you ever heard of the movie Surf Ninjas? <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you seen I, it chris yeah of course i've seen it it was like in that era of like kid-friendly martial art films like yes ninjas. and oh my god like there was a couple of others but it was kind of on that like ninja turtles power rain like power ranger excuse me like hype train yes. era but uh continue i will i won't uh, steal your thunder here no <laughs> you can fill in the gaps man and i actually all right so i'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you right around the holidays i found this thing on amazon and i was like i cannot find anywhere you can stream this film like the library doesn't have it nobody has this movie and i'm like i'm pretty sure this movie wasn't like canceled for being like i mean i'm sure there's like it, there's like stereotypes and stuff in it but it's not sure. like blatantly awful in the like ways that other films have not aged well you know it's it's still like it, i guess not acceptable is the right word but it's not like something that you couldn't watch and still enjoy for what it was when it came out because it's very goofy and it is intentionally like i guess what was it like the long and the short of it is it's two brothers who are growing up <laughs> in california who find out that they're actually like princes to this it's not really a defined culture right like it's just a very <laughs> generic so. asian island that they come from and are yep. like in maybe could be in the philippines somewhere in there i don't know they, they sort of like they don't try to be too specific probably because of the fact that like the main villain who <laughs> overthrew their country is played by leslie nielsen who shows up for like all of like maybe 20 minutes of this film uh, as like this sort of sam quasi samurai maybe he doesn't really do a whole lot of fighting he gets his butt kicked most of it but 
yeah he uh he sends out these the his warriors to go track down these two kids and kill them and they're befriended by basically the obi-wan kenobi of the movie who <laughs> helps them learn like unlock their inner martial arts power that they didn't know that they had and one kid who can like use his video game to predict what's going to happen in the future and guide his other brother <laughs> it's just so over the top and yet i love this movie I don't, and it's got like really who else it's got rob schneider in it yeah, who yeah, is he's trying like to play a teenager yeah. yeah and oh man and i feel like one other guy i'm missing who's the cop who's in it do you remember he's he's been in something else too i'm looking at the imdb page now oh um, man I want to there say he was not a whole lot of film. recognizable people besides <laughs> the one that you've uh, mentioned or the people you've mentioned so far. Wait, is this yeah. is this a kids movie? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely watched it as a kid. Like it's not there's not like over the top violence in the sense of like it's like Chris said it's very much like Power Rangers. So you go into it it's just like martial arts action. Pretty sure nobody dies except for Leslie Nielsen. At the very end, when he gets electrocuted, <laughs> and even then, it's really goofy. Um, I was gonna say, this is, is this like the Shark Boy and Lava Girl of your generation? Um, it's, <laughs> it's a worse, probably a way worse version of that. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, it's. I'm looking at like the some of like the trailer footage that was playing on IMDb, and then like even the cast list. So, uh, boy, talk about core memory unlocked. So, there's a character by the name of Baba Ram. And one of the few yes. things I remember is they start singing the uh, Beach Boy song. Yes. Bar, 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 and I think that's probably the whole reason the characters named that. Um, and yep. yeah, there's not a whole lot else. It seems like a movie from what little I remember of it that was just probably like pitched as like just like a concept of like, what if we had ninjas that surfed like. And then yeah. somebody was like, "Yeah, sure, build a, build a movie around that." I guess, like, <laughs> oh my god, uh, yeah. I Oddly enough, it. not a whole lot of surfing happens in this film. <laughs> it is, it is, it is important to the story at one point, but not a lot, sadly. But, but yeah, I watched it, and I was like taken right back to my childhood, and I thought this is. I don't know. It's still entertaining. Like it's not amazing by any means. <laughs> In a lot of ways, you could argue it's a terrible movie. But <laughs> I imagine it's, it's just a lot of fun. I just had a lot of fun watching it again. So anyway, that's my pick. <laughs> that's amazing. a great one. I'm very glad we did not skip this segment. <laughs> Me too. So to clarify, you had to buy this on physical media to watch it. Is that is that the... I did? I did not have to. How much money it. did you spend? It wasn't. A... <laughs> <laughs> that's what I really want to know uh actually like four bucks i was okay. surprised okay. i was pleasantly surprised amazon even had it and uh i did not have to uh drop some serious dough in order to revisit my childhood so yeah that's that's a fair price i think for uh <laughs> for surf <ninjas. laughs> for nostalgia yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was on dvd i feel like there was a special feature on there i, I was like the the trailer for it and then like maybe one other thing you know like like the really low budget like little dvd oh, yeah. um intros that they'll have and then like the special features so yeah yeah oh, there's yeah. some some bare bones uh special features back in the day for sure 
the trailer was like the one thing that you could be sure to say that you had special features on, on your box art. You just throw the trailer um, in, stick it in, and like, there you go. It's got special features. <laughs> Side B. Yeah, you got to flip the DVD over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to transition us back to our regular hosting mode. And I'm sorry I'm narrating this. This is just to keep me honest. Oops. Wrong scene. There we go. Boom. All right. Um, <laughs> so. Now we're going to talk about the quick and the dead and have a bite of that trope soup. Take it away, Will. Sweet. I get to talk your ear off some more. So the quick and the dead uh, is a 1995 film directed by Sam Raimi that stars Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, and a bunch of other people whose names are probably going to come up in my synopsis here in a second. Uh, Not to exclude Russell Crowe, who is very young, and Leonardo DiCaprio, who is really young. Um, but the premise of the story uh, is about a female gunfighter played by Sharon Stone, who is first only known as the lady who returns to the town uh, known as Redemption, where she intends to track down and kill the mayor slash gang leader, John Herod, who's played by Gene Hackman. But before she can do that, she ends up getting involved in a local shooting contest uh, when she it tries to save Court, who's played by Russell Crowe who is supposedly a preacher who has been apprehended by Herod's gang. Uh, we later find out, too, that Court has had his previous experience in Herod's gang and was a very good shooter at the time, and Herod just has it out for wanting to make Court's life miserable for running away from that life and wants to see him get back into the dueling contest with everybody else. Mostly so he can have his very sort of weird, sadistic revenge against him, but... Uh, we're also introduced to several other interesting characters uh, who have come to duel, uh, which I do want to get your feedback on here in a minute, so I won't go too much into those guys. But we do get to meet Herod's son, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, who is known as the Kid, who, unfortunately, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the film yet, if you're listening, does not make it up. Um, so we... Get a little bit more through flashback about why the lady is there, uh, what happened to her father. And we find out that Herod's gang overthrew the town and apprehended her father, who was the marshal at that time. And they're about to hang him. And then they find her and Gene Hackman gives her a gun and says, if you can shoot your father off the, you know, the lynch, then we'll set him free. And She's crying and he tells her it's okay and she aims and fires and shoots him like right in the forehead. So that's, we learn the reason why she has it out for uh, Herod's character and has come back into town. And at the end of the film, after there's a little trickery to make Herod think that she's been killed in a fight with court, uh, we get treated to some exciting explosions as half the town gets blown away by dynamite that's been set up secretly. And then we get a satisfying shootout between the lady and Herod, uh, who is finally defeated. So uh, with that in mind, as always, general first impressions or second impressions, uh, revisiting the film. Um, and May, I'm actually going to turn it over to you first to get your feedback. And also, if you'd like to tell me who your favorite gunfighter might have been or one of them. All right. So I don't usually like Westerns. And I am surprisingly fond of this movie now. Um, I don't know. I just, I think there is a lot of um, poetic, dramatic irony that's just laced throughout this film. And as I'm sure we'll talk about later, it does fully embrace all of its tropes and commits 100%, which I think 
works for the film. Still some parts I didn't love. Um, but yeah, overall, I uh, found it kind of endearing. Um, I never quite understood why everyone hated Court so much. <laughs> like that was a bit over the top. But uh, <laughs> I think it's just so they could have a punching bag character. Um, yeah, overall, I liked it. Um, favorite gunslinger, though. I guess so. As much as I love Ellen as a character, and she does seem to be kind of this, like, like I, I don't know. I could read her as, like, a, you know, just your standard female gunslinger but i think she's also kind of like death incarnate in a lot of ways <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and like i think has like some broader metaphorical significance but just like if i was there watching a gunfight i think i would definitely pick the kid as my favorite just because he's working the crowd he's got pizzazz he doesn't always shoot to kill in fact it seems like he tries not to shoot to kill generally um so yeah i gotta go with the kid Solid choice. And not just because it's Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, of That's course, not... but. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Oh, man. I think that probably, th I know he's been, he was in stuff before this film, but I feel like this was probably the, the earliest I've ever seen him in a movie. Because the other stuff, I mean, I, I, that I've heard of, I don't think I've watched, so. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, good choice. All right, Chris, tell us how you feel <laughs> coming back into the, into the ring. Well, not the ring, the, the gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this is, I think, a really, really fun, fun movie. Like I said, I enjoyed it more even the second time around um, than I did the first. Uh, knowing, like, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be kind of silly and goofy the first time I saw it, but like really having a, a sense of where the plot was going to go and, and what the tone was actually going to feel like. I think on on the one hand, there's times where it plays it like very straight. And then there's like a Raimi touch, like somebody getting shot through the eye and doing like three backflips, like as a result of it, that that's just like fucking great. And only like same or like having a hole that you can see through like a cartoon character like in their body. Um, so, yeah, like um, I really, really just enjoy it. I think it's a Western I would recommend specifically to people that aren't fan of Westerns with the pitch of like it, it's silly, like it and it knows it's silly and it doesn't try to not be silly. And uh, it's it's something that you're allowed to have fun with. It's not trying to necessarily tell any kind of moral story like sure i mean there's like like you know it's a revenge tale whatever but like it, it, you know it's it's not trying to like have like a, a heavy message or anything like that and i think that makes it approachable probably for a lot like versus some, something like unforgiven which is like got some really intense sequences of, of violence but for most of that nearly three hour movie it is a lot of talking and using on like past sins and like abuse and like you know uh, what makes somebody pretty like <laughs> you know and stuff like that so um favorite uh gunfighter is definitely the kid um doesn't even need a hype man <laughs> he is his own hype man i'm on another level you know like i just <laughs> uh every freaking scene is just so 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 great um even you know though like 
he's kind of being a little cocky asshole. It's so funny. Like he's like bragging that like he like slept with Sharon Stone and she's like, yeah, you were puking your guts out in the alley, kid. Like whatever. Um, Just really, really good banter with everybody. And I think he's got probably one of the more interesting arcs that's like followed through like all the way in terms of like wanting to surpass his father and uh, who, you know, says like at the end, he tries to pull some Maury Povich shit of like, ah, you don't have a DNA test. Like, that was never proven he was my kid, by the way, you know. Um, but uh yeah, it's definitely my favorite uh, of the gunfighters. Close seconds the the lady or Ellen, yeah. I, this, I mean this is Sharon Stone at peak Sharon Stoneness. It's true, man. And I think basic instinct really cool was like a, a year before that, like maybe oh, two wow. years before yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so I'm imagining that drew like a big crowd just based on that alone. Probably, At yeah. Least back in the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I um, it's probably like the third time I've seen this film, and I'd agree with you. I think that it's it's campy and it's just it, it it's trying to play with all the you know, the features of a western, but just have fun with it, not take it seriously. Like it's sort of on par with like a vo- more violent version of like. I guess I'm thinking of TV shows now, but like um, Briscoe County Jr., which had Bruce Campbell or even like Nicodemus Legend. Le- I guess Legend was the name of the TV show, but I think that was Richard Dean Anderson. And so it was sort of like we're we're sort of Western for most of it, <laughs> kind of. We're in that realm, but we're sort of our own world in that version of it. And maybe even arguably like a little bit of steampunk thrown in there with some of like the retro looks for like sunglasses and pipes and, and stuff, but just like really cool little details in some of the costuming. But uh but yeah, I think overall, I think it's it's effective because it's sort of like the same way that anime is over the top in a lot of ways, but also entertaining for the worlds that it creates. So I think that that's why this works as well, and also why I gravitate toward it. So uh, but yeah, if uh, <laughs> if you went into this expecting a serious movie, that's like going into Starship Troopers and thinking it's a serious film and being like, what is this cartoon that I'm watching right now? So uh, word to the wise. Yeah, don't go into it with like, it's it's not like Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns. It's not like Clint Eastwood. So no, um, but it's definitely trying to play off the same sorts of tropes, which we'll, we can talk about here in a minute. Uh, like those i think that in terms of gunfighters man if you guys are both gonna go for dicaprio i gotta hold it down for some of the other folks that showed up to the party right <laughs> so like uh i gotta hand it out to cantrell uh played by keith david who if you don't know keith david every deep authority figure in a film is that dude like armageddon he's the general like <laughs> he is I love listening to that guy talk and especially when he's playing a character that is having fun too. Like when he's laughing, like he thinks he's going to best Herod in this, in this movie. And he's been hired on to come and and murder him by people in the town because they want him out, you know, and he's just so sure of himself and he's actually pretty decent up until the point where they fight. And then he gets his ass handed to him. And, but, um, and also gets like half his head blown away. One of those, you know, over the top cartoonish things, like there's no way that gun would do that or that it would look like that, but what a wild shot, you know? And, um, so I'd have to go with him probably a close second for ACE because, uh, you know what? I want to know that dude's backstory. I would watch, 
I would watch an expanded universe of these characters to see how they all tied into this film, you know, and if they were willing to do that. He's like a WWE fighter. He's got the whole persona, the shtick. That's right. He's going to, you know, to comb in a little bit on everything, getting ready, doing the, yeah, it's very true. He is a, he is a wrestler. That's right. You're right. (laughs) Oh man. So yeah, his performance acting was, uh, was pretty solid. So. Well, thank you both for your your uh, <laughs> love for DiCaprio <laughs> and uh, also your feedback. I'm glad you both liked it. Um, and so I guess the next question that I've got is, since this is trope soup, let's talk about some tropes. Uh, was there any in particular? And I guess I'm thinking about Western style tropes, but I do want to hear about other tropes outside of that in just a moment. But for this first question of the Western tropes that you're familiar with, which stood out to you the most in this film and it could be something you thought worked well you could be you could be something that you thought detracted from it if you don't think it worked well but just you know some of the stuff that stood out to you the most and uh chris i'm gonna throw it back over to you first on this one i will try to contain myself because i have lots like lots and lots and lots <laughs> chris proceeds just to list the entire movie yeah. <laughs> um so a few of my notable ones um, is like sort of the, the archetype of like the mysterious gunfighter. So thinking to like the man with no name and like the dollars trilogy or the man with the harmonica from once upon a time in the West where you have little to no backstory or motivation. And sometimes it's revealed. Um, you, I should say usually it's revealed if there is motivation in like the very final act, usually through a flashback scene something that very much um this this movie does with the character of the lady right uh even the fact that she doesn't have really a name until the end of the movie is is very tropey um the camera work was very reminiscent of leone's spaghetti westerns in particular those uh close-up mm-hmm. shots and rapid cutting back and forth um in the the midst of like the anticipation of the gunfight just straight rip ripped out of leone and uh yeah, like that's that's what I want in like these kind of movies. And I, I love that Tarantino has kind of ate that for his Mexican standoffs, like in and other like genres. It's something that's uh that's really, really fun. Uh the music, obviously, big, big uh, you know, um part of any Western, I feel like there's sort of expectations that people have a lot of the time. You gotta have some fiddles, you gotta have some guitars, um, and you know, uh sort of that western sound not necessarily like any morricone like it's not quite a spaghetti western but there's some little hints of that um i would say i'll I'll limit myself to maybe uh one more here and i think it's having the uh the town that is ruled by like the i don't know crime syndicate lord whatever like the the guy who is the big bad and everybody sort of is afraid of and pays tribute to. And that sort of like, is like the guy of the the town is probably the other one. Again, you see this in the dollars trilogies a lot. Uh, you see it um, in unforgiven. Like it's one of those things that's just like all throughout the history of Westerns. There's almost always a big bad that has the town under his boot. I will stop there, but yes, those are the ones that uh, are probably the ones that stood out the most. And um the ones that I, I thought were used best in this this film. Uh the dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be my favorite. A little foreshadowing there, just a bed of dynamite. 
it's like Chekhov's gun a little bit. You're like, well, that's coming into play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was great. If, if for no other reason than just having um, Herod surrounded by fire in that final fight. So Ellen could walk through it like this like wraith of death all dramatically. Um, besides that, I would say um, obviously like dueling is very much a Western thing, but the way it was shot where every duel there are like more of those dramatic cuts between the duelists and to the <laughs> clock like it just got more and more over the top with every single one yeah that's true like zooming in like really quick zoom ins each time get a little bit closer cut to the next person get a little bit closer cut to the next person but yeah there is one where i could have sworn it was going to like be uh, like just their eyelash on the next yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like well this is too close guys <laughs> Yeah, back up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, the dueling for me is probably like the the one thing because I'm I was curious about how much that actually yeah. happened, and from what it sounds like, not not a lot. <laughs> if it did happen, it was a lot less uh, quote unquote civilized, a lot less. We're gonna stand in two places, and a crowd's gonna come join us, or we're gonna just like wait until i don't know count it off or wait until the clock strikes and then go for it it was more just like we're both drunk and you pissed me off and now i'm gonna you know i'm gonna shoot you you know and um not to say that it didn't happen but i think it's it's sort of interesting that 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 sort of um i guess mexican standoff or that sort of gun shooter you know one-on-one combat style seems to have been like that's what we all like go to a western to check out or that we expect is going to happen at some point um, in the film um you know chris it's funny you mentioned the music too because i feel like the guy who did the the score for this also did back to the future part three so there's little bits where i felt like i'm listening all the back to the futures and predator as well they got a little yeah time where i was like oh there's that um that iconic like alvin silvestri song it's now but yeah yeah Yeah, the tension building yeah um so i guess i just say back to the future part three because that was western and that's why it's sort of like i I get that sort of like crossover Mm -hmm. feel to it but yeah no you're i mean absolutely right um yeah i think those are probably the main ones that i would mention for tropes uh yeah the dueling stuff man or like there's always the saloon and there's Mm -hmm. always the cd characters and there's that gen- like you mentioned the general lawlessness i guess essentially if there's like either the big bad or it's just like everything's just sort of falling apart <laughs> um there's probably like i guess there wasn't so much in this film so i don't know if it's something to mention then but i feel like there's usually like that that one sort of like i guess there is sort of a preacher maybe that does that feel like that comes up a lot? There's like usually like a religious figure or there's one older gentleman in the town who's sort of like holding out hope, <laughs> but he doesn't necessarily want to be yeah. the, there's, the guy to There's like of. the mentor, um, like sometimes they're a preacher, sometimes they're a doctor or healer. Um, again, like going back to the dollars, like trilogy, you think about the person that uh, mends up um, Clint Eastwood in the first after he gets his ass kicked like you know in fistful of dollars and allows him to come back for his like final stand at the end or um like the the doc um or marshall in tombstone i don't know like that's something you see Mm. a lot for sure is like somebody is the older moral center of the town um you know whether it's faith or science whatever 
and then there's usually like at least in this i, I always kind of laugh every time when she comes when the lady or ellen comes into town and there's the guy who's making all the caskets <laughs> like instantly yeah. guesses what her height is <laughs> yeah oh yeah the, like, yeah the undertaker that's, yeah. that is definitely <laughs> um uh, no horror with the heart of gold that's that's another trope that you see in a lot of westerns that i was kind of glad mm. that they like you know shrugged off i mean sometimes it's done well like i think deadwood's a great example of like because that character has growth um like i groaned i was like oh man like a show this modern is doing like the horror with the heart of gold and it's like oh okay like this person actually has like a good character trajectory where they like shake that mold off um and kind of subverse your expectations that way but uh they kind of make a, a nod to it where he's like horrors like in that building mm. and then she yanks them off the ladder and it's like all right there we go <laughs> yeah i actually There's... surprisingly really liked how this film handled like period sexism as well as feminism because i feel like when you have a female action protagonist like this there's a tendency to do one of two things basically have all the characteristics of your typical like male action hero and just cast a woman yeah. um or to do kind of the shitty like like you said to war with a heart of gold or like um I, I don't know just like have her uh being like a, i'm doing this for women and feminism kind of thing where it just feels hollow and it's like no she has real personal stakes she is you know hard when she needs to be hard and then she's more sensitive when you know things are overwhelming like with Herod or when she sees that girl get taken advantage of and she's like nope I'm fighting for you <laughs> right here right now uh so yeah I really liked how she is as a character she's not like unbelievably cold or unbelievably like weak so now that we've talked about the tropes that you've all noticed that are typical westerns are there other tropes that sort of came up in the film that you felt like existed i mean that you've seen in several films before that you thought also worked and there might be a little bit of overlap here um since some western thing uh, some tropes in westerns have been used in other films but i was just curious if there was anything else that you saw that was particularly tropey trope like trope tasting that you thought um i've seen that before but maybe not necessarily in a western so may i'll toss it back over to you first Oh no, the protagonist is dead right before the climax. They're definitely not coming back to life. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I watch this movie? <laughs> Why did you read this thing to me, Grandpa? <laughs> uh, so that's a classic, uh, as well as like using some kind of fake blood in a shootout. Like, come on, did you really fall for that, Herod? <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. Also, it feels like Back to the Future a little bit, too, with the little trick at the end. But, Chris, how about you? Definitely some of the gunfighting at the end was, like, was getting a little, like, uh, gung-fu-y, um, which was cool. <laughs> like, a lot of stylized action where it was, like, it wasn't just fanning the, you know, the hammer. And, and the, I mean, like, literally at one point, I think Russell Crowe was just, like, dual wielding and <laughs> doing crisscross shots with, like, a rifle and a pistol and stuff like that. Um so that felt like a little uh, tropey, like of the time for like '90s action for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you could argue that at this time, casting Gene Hackman as your villain was like a surefire like way to just like <laughs> like ensure that 
the audiences were going to buy into that he was the bad guy. So like, it's, you know, he just was a villain in this time period and a lot of things. I was going to say, or that Gene Hackman at some point is going to like lose his shit and just like spaz out and either like shout at somebody in their face or like slap them. So I feel like it's very much like Crimson Tide, you know, like where he was the, you know, the captain who just like loses it at Denzel. Just that, that build up, that little snark, 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 and then just like right in your face. So, yeah, his character in this was like very similar to the one in Unforgiven. Like the only difference mm. is like he's a, he's a lawman in Unforgiven, um, mm. and he's like a bit more like serious and down to earth, but. Um, and he's also kind of played for like laughs at the expense of others, like because he's building his retirement home. And like there's the joke of like there's not a straight angle in that whole damn house, like, and it's just constantly leaking when it rains and shit. <laughs> like anyway. <laughs> um, whereas like this character is sort of, you know, like just kind of feared, I guess, and not really respected, but yeah. It has a very nice house. Yeah. For a time, yes, <laughs> that is true. I think for me, sort of the tropiness of it is like having a character where, or having a protagonist where um, they end up in the situation where they want to be in, and they're like right, like two steps away from their goal, and they just don't do it. <laughs> they, I mean, yeah. it's. It, yeah like i'm a same. sucker for a drawn out tense dinner scene like that yeah. is mm. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have some you know some plot develop i guess character development maybe some backstory it's backstory right that's you know and so we have to understand our villain as to what their motivation what's their motivation for this while they're peeling an apple to symbolize you know whatever and uh yeah so i think that gets a little overused where it's like you you were right there and you could have done it and then you're just like yeah yeah you hesitated and i get hesitation like protagonists have weaknesses too i understand that but i just think it's it's funny there's always like that little little something that catches them at the last second like oh no maybe i shouldn't try this (laughs) come back tomorrow (laughs) and then they'll just let me leave you know it's fine we know we're 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 antagonistic but it's it's okay We'll, we'll sort this out after you know the sun comes back up or something but so that's probably what i want to i want to see that scene happen and like you're like oh there's like an hour and 15 left like no way this is going on and then like it actually goes down and then like there's a mid mid uh you know film <laughs> shift that would be great be fantastic ah, yeah tarantino do that you know yeah. subvert our expectations and then just change the film up to something completely different <laughs> <laughs> do you think that there were any other i guess cinematic tricks and this is a little bit broader just in terms of um it can be tropey, but it doesn't have to be. But any other sorts of aspects to the film, cinematic or cinematography or film or geez, words not working. Cinematography or score or um characters or actors, even just like the little details, some of the little cool little details to like the the costume design or things of that nature that really stood out that you thought added to the story in the world that it was sort of creating within a western backdrop uh, that stood out to you so uh, with that very convoluted question in mind Chris I'm going to pass it over to you 
Um, yeah, I think like the sense of space, having like the small town by the end of the movie, like you you know geographically kind of where everything is, the clock tower, the saloon, Herod's house, all that stuff. Um, it worked the set design as well. Um, I think played into that. Uh, yeah, I think like the fact that like they're setting the film like in the same town where everything went down to kind of motivate the lady is kind of neat that she destroys it at the end. You know, it's a very like literal undoing of, of the, of the past to sort of rid herself of it and both killing her odd, but also destroying the town. Um, pretty, pretty cool. Something that you see in, in certain films, like again, I know I keep going back to Eastwood, but like Eastwood directed Western, um, what was the high plains drifter? I think is what it's called. Um, where like he paints the entire town red and then changes the name to hell. And then when the the three men that he wants to take his revenge arrive, they're like, what is going on? Like here, it's very similarly like that. He's kind of set out to not just go for revenge of the people, but also like undo the place that that was kind of, kind of cool. Um, not super tropey, but it was definitely like a specific kind of nod. I thought to, to that. Um, a trope I didn't like. Is like the weird mysticism around the Native American character. Um, mm. I think that aged great, especially since it's then played for like laughs later. Um, I also love how none of us have really talked about court. I think it's like almost <laughs> a distraction from the main yeah. plot of the film to like have him there. And he's not very likable either. Like he, <laughs> he has all the, this whole thing about being a man of God now. And then just like almost no preaching for a preacher. It's very strange. Um. Yeah, I don't love court. <laughs> I can confess, um, I I don't like most Russell Crowe like roles. I feel like he's kind of a wet blanket, and this movie is no exception for me. So yeah. So yeah, I think court kind of detracted from the main storyline, and I wish we'd focus less on him. I think it's cool to have him in the in the film as a character, but if they were going to give him that much screen time, I think they should have developed him a bit more. Mm-hmm um another thing i did love since you mentioned fashion though is like ellen's outfits were amazing i am so impressed with how they convey that she's a bit more feminine with like the embroidery on a lot of her stuff while still keeping it very rugged and like more masculine than say like the dresses people might have been wearing um so i thought that was genius costuming wise and I also appreciated uh, that this did not end up in a romance. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great point. I forgot to mention that and I'm glad you did. Platonic, yeah. especially in this time period, is so ripe to just like have some 11th hour, like, I don't know, bullshit happen. Yeah. I think it would have killed it, especially since I don't like court. Uh, <laughs> but no. <laughs> um, it is. I don't know. I feel good. I'm sh- I guess we'll probably talk about the end of the film, but um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about Ellen just riding off and like passing the badge to court. I get why she didn't want to stay at all. Yeah. Um, so I guess that it makes sense in that way. She's just trying to get out and court is like the least shitty person to hand that to. <laughs> but <laughs> no, man, give it, give it to the old man from home alone, whatever that guy's name yes. was. Yes. <laughs> like, that would have been like, better. Right. That would have been better. But I do like how she just rides back off into the fire like this, this like just angel of death (laughs) and destruction. Yes. 
I do like when she rides off into the, well, I guess not really the sunset, but rides off into the distance and then, yeah, just leaves court there with the choice. Um, My job is done. Yeah, he hardly even argues. He's like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to kill anybody. Oh, shit. Sorry. He's dead. And <laughs> right, listen, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to like, oh, sorry. I did it again. Like, like you could just let them kill you. Like if you really are that, like, I don't know, man. Like, I, uh, Oops, I don't fully I did it again. <laughs> again. Yeah, I don't. I don't really trust that character fully. And like, I'm like, is he your best choice? Like, nope. come on. He thinks if you just ask for forgiveness, you'll get it. <laughs> I don't know if that's enough, pretty, my dude. Pretty checkered <laughs> past, and like, I, I know that they try to paint him as like this reformed guy, but um, his actions throughout the entire movie pretty much demonstrate that like he's kind of still a bastard, like deep down and maybe always will be but like how that gun sounds when you rule the chamber <laughs> oh man i did actually like that scene where he's where they're talking about guns uh with dicaprio okay. with the kid because he's brought in the little shop and uh herod brings him in and it's like oh you know see which what uh basically is like condescending to his son for running the shop but also wants him to find like a decent gun for court to use and then after all the like you know the the shiny cool looking ones that that uh the kid goes through that it ends up being well what's the cheapest ones you got that'll actually like fire (laughs) (laughs) and you know ends up with like what looks like this rusty piece of shit (laughs) but even the kid's like i wouldn't sell it to you if it didn't shoot straight you know and so yeah that's uh I, uh, I just like the little inter- the little the interplay with that scene beforehand and also getting to see just how much court does still like to do that you could tell and he just oh, yeah, his hands twitching. yeah like he's ready man he's just he just wants to feel that cold steel <laughs> and yeah so i agree i wouldn't trust him a better Russell Crowe character is uh, in 310 to Yuma. Um, oh, the outlaw. Yeah. I don't know if uh, I can't why his name is uh, escaping me. I just rewatched it. Um, but like, if you want a good Russell Crowe Western audience and you haven't seen that one, it is amongst uh, the best modern Westerns. And he is way more personality in that and gets to play kind of the anti-hero villain. But sorry, I digress. Have you seen that? Well, is he in 310 or you may yes i have it's been a while but yeah i agree it's now over here james mangold so if you like his style of filmmaking like guy that made logan and is doing the new uh indiana jones like i didn't know about indy i might still have to go see it just for nostalgia I, well of course there's no way i knew any movies coming out i'm not going to see it like, even if it's terrible, <laughs> like it can't be bom, much bom, worse bom. than than the, the lot, most recent one but yeah. uh, you say this <laughs> uh don't set that bar <laughs> <laughs> it's got Matt mickelson it's automatically going to be better than the last one like although okay, the well, last one had gay planchette i guess but... i was gonna say i thought that's mm, okay, that was my okay, rationale okay. too all right oh so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, man communist Kate planchette i mean i'm i'm there you know but mm, anyway I digress as well. Um, I think Westerns are definitely one of those films where it's sort of like, for me, and this is just a random comment, that when I, when somebody asks me what Westerns I've seen, and I'm just like, I haven't really seen that many. And then, like, we've talked about several already, and I'm like, I either know of that or 
I have actually watched that. It's just been a while. It's not usually like a go-to genre for me, but every once in a while it'll be one that'll come up that I think is actually pretty good or that will inspire me to want to go back and watch the original. Like you mentioned 310 to Yuma. Have you that's that's a remake, right? Like there's a they made the uh I don't remember what year, unfortunately. Sixties, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll have to go back and see that or like some of the other stuff that they've they've tried to like popularize and redo like they redid what Magnificent Seven and then it's probably like a, a handful which, of other ones, which it, uh, in and of itself was a remake of a Kurosawa film, Seven yeah. Samurai. Um, yeah, you could argue that like the modern Western really was kind of ripped off from samurai films from, you know, 50s Japan. I think like they owe so much. Um, and I mean, that's that's just the you know, not to say that completely disparagingly, um, so much of like art is sort of borrowing from other genres and countries and things like that. But, um, but yeah, like a lot of the best Westerns that are like, you know, sixties and beyond and whether spaghetti Westerns or Hollywood Westerns kind of owe a lot to, to some of that, um, those samurai films for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, you're right. It's a hard genre to get right. And I think like, that's what makes the, like, it's, it's, great that this movie works because it sort of leans into all the tropes versus trying to tiptoe around them right like sometimes that's the best strategy for something like this and you could tell he just wanted to have fun well guys as we come to the end of our duel are there any other thoughts whether about the ending if we want to just kind of wrap up with some final thoughts about that or anything else that stood out to you about the film that you want to make sure that we talk about i don't think we've covered everything um Shout out to Gary Sinise, who's in this for like maybe <laughs> sub two minutes of screen time. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, and I know this is not necessarily like inversing a trope. In fact, I think it is probably its own trope. But I do like that Ellen is a reluctant protagonist at times because you have people mm. that are, um, you know, hell bent on destruction, but also just kind of like unstoppable forces of nature, like in No Country for Old Men. Uh, but Ellen like hesitates frequently. She also like tries to run away from the town and then goes back to the graveyard. And I don't know. I like I appreciate the wavering. I feel like it builds suspense personally. Yeah. It's unexpected, too, because she seems so determined at the beginning, like your introduction to that character is that she's just going to be like this like salty, you know, mean, surly, like gunslinger all the time. Yeah. And I think you get your first glimpse of it in the evening at the bar where she's having, you don't know it at, at the time if it's your first time watching it, but she's having some flashbacks to what happened with her father and the chair and that whole thing. That's where you kind of see some of that like uh, indecision and sort of like humanity creep through a little bit, which is uh, it's a brilliant scene. I like that scene a lot. There's also the fact that uh, Court looks very much like her father. Like in that mm-hmm. moment, I was like, oh, is that the guy that she had a picture of? That's weird. And then I realized later yeah. that was dumb. But <laughs> no, that's a good yeah, point, though. She, that was very yeah. triggering for her. <laughs> yeah. So much so that she <laughs> triggering, get it? Hey. <laughs> she shoots him down. <laughs> oh. all right guys well i think that's all that i've got so thank you very much for being willing to join me on this nice little adventure of watching sharon stone shoot the shit out of gene hackman um 
before we, I guess, well, at this point, we should turn it over and play a nice little game. Are you both ready for what is to come with that? Yeah. Always Let's, uh, ready. Bring, bring back uh, a shot in the dark where yes. uh, May and I are going to attempt to describe the plot of a film that we've not seen based on our pop culture knowledge and exposure to like whatever trailers stills memes and will uh has a list of both of our films and i believe is going to designate the films that we're going to have to try to describe so i don't yes. like that face will <laughs> yes i'm so ready so ready ah uh, all right who wants to go first i'll go first since i've not done this before i feel like that's only fair all yes. right, Chris. I would. <laughs> I think you knew this was going to happen. Um, so I would very much like for you to um, to tell me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having second thoughts. There's some pretty good stuff on this list that you've got over here. Um, but no, I'm going to go with my first cut, which is I, I want you to tell me what you think Interstellar is all about. All right. So I'm going to go half serious, half silly with this, probably. Um, yes, so, uh, I am reasonably sure that Matthew McConaughey is either a farmer and or scientist that is tasked with, uh, going on some sort of interstellar mission, um, to solve some sort of crisis. I'm not sure if it's a food crisis or some other kind of like climate crisis on earth or there's some kind of crisis that he's got to do it. And I think he knowingly goes on this journey um, knowing that he's going to like leave behind loved ones that are going to age out because of time dilation. Uh, I think Anne Hathaway is involved somewhere in there. Like I seem to remember some scenes where they're like space suits um, next to each other. Some stills that I've seen. Um, I think Michael Caine is somewhere in there. Michael Caine <laughs> is like, <laughs> you know, I fired you. I failed the earth. Maybe he's like the reason that there's a crisis is uh, he did something wrong. I don't know. Um, at some point, he cries real hard because um, I've seen that. Like, um, he, I'm going to guess that he forgets to file his taxes since it's tax season now. And he's just watching his his uh, balance like skyrocket in real time on a screen. Um, <laughs> uh, and he can't do anything about it because, you know, he's, it's time dilation. That's how it works. Um, in all seriousness, I'm sure it's some sort of like um, I don't know, compilation video as his daughter's growing older or something like that. Maybe like a series of messages and maybe he's like watching her get old in real time and seeing the stuff that she's doing while she's away. And, you know, he's crying from like happiness, of like, oh, pride, whatever. And then like also sadness at the stuff that he missed out on. Um, I'm going to guess that he's probably successful in his mission. And what I really got to decide is like, is there some sort of human sacrifice element to it? I'm going to say, yeah, like he dies in some sort of heroic gesture at the end because it seems like it would be kind of hard for him to come back and reintegrate into society, um, maybe with everyone being older. But I have no fucking clue. That's the best I can do with this movie. He's the one I know. So. <laughs> My personal favorite of that was watching his taxes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> exponentially get <laughs> destroyed um uh interstellar is actually the film of a man that flies to another galaxy because of tax evasion 
<laughs> yeah, he's like, you can't charge me with tax evasion if I'm not on Earth. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe he just decides not to save the Earth. He's like, jokes on you, motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> I owe too much. I can't go back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was laughing uh to tie that, that I think they're all the other reason that was in my brain was like um it's apparently like a really it's a real thing that happened during the Apollo 13 crisis was that uh Swigert forgot to pay his taxes and so like uh as they're about to like go like boost off he's like can, you, can somebody file an extension for me and like the guys in the control room are like, oh no, they'll like come after him, dude. Like, like that's a serious thing. It's not funny. And like, um, as they like, you know, they're up there going through the crisis, like to lift their spirits. They're like, hey, good news, the IRS is gonna cut you a break on those. They don't know if they're gonna make it back. And he's like, well, that's a relief. Like, thank you. Um, so that's oh, also I think kind of. I just rewatched that movie. Uh, that <laughs> dog bat loose. So there you go. There's some inspiration. What a like, what a thing to like realize when. You... <laughs> You're it's about like, to go like, take off to, to the moon? Yeah. It's like realizing you left your stove on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, oh, man. I needed that. Uh, um, well, please don't spoil because I do want to watch this. But yeah, no, how, no, accurate, how accurate is the serious bits? Like, like what am I? Like 50% of the way there? 40%? Like, I thought it was going to be like a comparative score between us. Okay, we can wait. We can wait to reveal. Um, that's probably a good idea. You, Will can can decide on whatever bullshit criteria he wants to make up, like <laughs> who, who who got closer to the the real thre- uh, thread. So, uh, I had it at tax evasion. You had me there. No, um, yeah. So I would say overall for like the main points, um, most of it probably like fifty to seventy five percent. Yeah, you're pretty spot on. Um, of course, the details and everything that happened between point A and point C or whatever. Um, you will definitely have. I will love to see your reaction when you finally see the film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's totally worth it. Um, and I was just grateful to be part of this ride with you. So, um, <laughs> oh man, I needed that laugh seriously. That was great. Um, all right, May, are you ready? Fingers on the trigger. All right. I would like for you, I'm going to keep this also science fiction. I would like for you to describe for me the plot of Alien. <laughs> okay. Uh, just saying up front, this is going to be tough because there have been so many movies. I'm not sure which memes I've seen have been from which movie. <laughs> <laughs> just so. adds to the confusion. <laughs> There's a spaceship. Sigourney mm. Weaver is on it, along with some other people that are not as hot. And <laughs> they are flying Fats. through space. And uh, it's kind of like a very dark industrial ship, you know, not like super friendly. It's not like the ship from Wally. Anyway, they're flying through space and uh, some like weird stuff happens with the ship. There's some like system failures and shit. And uh, someone like starts getting sick. And um, they're not sure if there's like an alien on the ship or what, but a sick person just like one day chilling in a sick bed. Next, next second, there's something poking out of his stomach 
not sure what that is <laughs> but <laughs> 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 it uh it crawls out it's clearly alive the poor dude's dead everyone freaks out running screaming um whatever came out of his stomach like mutates a bunch of times becomes more and more horrifying uh tries to eat sigourney weaver at some point either before or after the alien appears i think there's like a sex scene or something um i don't know how she's horny with an alien on board but you know <laughs> you do you girls <laughs> oh my god great. i'm pretty sure i know where some of these inspirations are coming from it's yeah fantastic. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> And eventually, um, Sigourney <laughs> Weaver and like a child are the only two left on the ship. The alien has killed everyone else, uh, and they're able to triumph at the end of the day, killing the alien or maybe having a peace agreement with it, probably killing it. Um, but you realize at the very last second in the film that one of the alien babies escaped, leading to a sequel. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I feel like a lot of what you've mentioned has is definitely grounded in the alien universe and yes. the films that have come out. So I, I could definitely see your the influences like Chris was saying. You secretly described the plot of several several alien movies like in, as part of one, honestly, like or plot <laughs> points, like major plot points. No. Which is pretty impressive. <laughs> That's what I was yep. saying. I don't know what I've seen is like from which movie. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I have to say that I would enjoy watching either of the two films that you've described, even if they're not like 100% accurate to the source material. So, I mean, I would I would totally watch that. So, and I, in fact, I've seen most of that as well. And like Chris said, you know, in different versions. So, uh, hmm. All right. If there can only be one winner, if we can only have the Highlander in this, um, Chris, <laughs> you had me at tax evasion. I'm serious. I don't know why. That just really got to me. And I, I feel that. So I got to go with that one, man. I like how this is sort of turned into like a sort of pitch storm version of describing a film <laughs> that has already happened. And I think that makes it even better. So. We're yeah. pitching the uh, off-brand remake that'll be sold on DVDs only at like the flea market. Four dollars, Amazon, baby. <laughs> <laughs> right next it's... to Surf Ninjas. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a trivia murder party, like when you like have to do your best to memorize like some pattern or something, and you do your best to draw, and it just it comes out. You're like, well, that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of what was, <laughs> was on the screen a little bit. <laughs> but... Excellent. Now you guys were both great. I love both of them, and uh, I, I honestly, I am excited for when you both finally see those respective films to get your take on what you thought. So. I have to watch a whole series, though. <laughs> I mean, you could stop it. Arguably, you could definitely stop at two for Alien. Mm -hmm. if, if you want, if you want to, you know, um, see, I think three and Resurrection are interesting in their own ways. Like both, ultimately, probably not fully successful but um yeah if you want to see what a french like art filmmaker makes of the alien universe you can watch resurrections that's the horny movie that you described yep. very horny and then <laughs> if you want to if you want to see 
what studio meddling will do to a, a, a genius like David Fincher, who's disowned Alien 3. You can see a, a, what a studio meddling looks like. Um, it's interesting results. So. But you could stop it too, though. If you want to see perfection, like... Yeah, uh, I think alien, I probably will. But yeah. <laughs> I'm alien really, aliens is one I'm really of the glad the horny punches. scene was not just my imagination. That oh, it is definitely not your imagination. <laughs> um, yeah, Sigourney Weaver requested specifically in sequels. She's like, I'll do sequels if I can have one where I never shoot a gun and if I could fuck an alien. And she may or may not <laughs> get to do both of those things. And <laughs> so, well. Uh, let's go ahead and pick our next film. So we we decided on last uh, week's podcast that poor May has had rotten luck. Uh, six films in a row have not been a May pick. Uh, three in a row, each for Will and I. So we will be drawing until we pick a May film. Um, so there there might be some awkward cuts here. Like I apologize. Um, I'm not even going to say there's not shenanigans going on because I mean by design there is going to be shenanigans if we don't draw a May film. So um let's see let me pull up my little list real quick and we'll see what we get will and i just have to stay stock still while you look at these no that's fine Mm. move away that's all good (laughs) all right i've got the spreadsheet up so here we go let's see if we can get a may film on the first go that'll be awesome that's what we did last time we just willed it into existence and uh you made it happen made it happen um, all right, let's see what this one is. I'm sorry, there's nothing for your name, Chris. <laughs> Two out of three is not bad. Uh, christened it. Hey, mm-hmm. yep. That, oh, there we go. Yeah, right, you know what? Is, I take back what I said. <laughs> it was unfortunately not a May film, so there we go. It, the universe is pushing back hard. Uh, let's see if this one is. It is also not a Mayfair. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm glad we instituted this rule because, man. Would it just be Will for like months? <laughs> I feel like this is a May film based on the number, but hold please while I confirm. It is. And. It's a banger at that. So the category is SFX Excellence. The film is Jason and the Argonauts, which, as you all know from my wall of Harryhausen behind me, big fan of Mr. Harryhausen and his special effects work. And this movie is great. I have not acquired a figure. I'm assuming you've seen it since you've nominated it. Yes. Yes. Um, I have been a mythology nerd since I was born essentially uh so big fan of and the argonauts watched it in high school um just phenomenal stop motion and other cool stuff which we will talk about very good yeah i'm excited i have to get um talos is one of the figures i really want to get that's the uh the big metal man with the the little valve in his ankle and um Medusa from Clash of the Titans, or not that anybody asked, but if you want to know what I'm hoping to put back there at some point, they're just expensive, like all like figures are. Uh, it's one of those like you know indulgences that's like dangerous to get into because you're like, like oh that's so cool and yeah, um yeah it's been a long time since I probably would say like high school for me since I've seen this particular one maybe college, um it's just one of the ones that uh, doesn't pop up on streaming for whatever reason, as, as often as like say clash of the Titans or uh, 
um, Seven Voyages Sinbad. So I'm very excited to to revisit this. Will, have you seen it before? It's been a while, but yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. A rare uh, triple, like, everyone's uh, seen it film. I love I it. Well, there you have it. That's our next film. Um, quick plug. You can find us at ScreenQuest Pod on Twitter. And, of course, we have our, our live uh, Google Form submission. If you want to be on the show or you just simply want to nominate a, a film or a category for a side quest, toss them on in. We'd love to have your suggestions. Just make sure you put your contact information if you do want to appear on the show. And uh, we'll be on the lookout for more of those and start adding those into the deck here very shortly. Thank you for uh, for listening, for watching, supporting the show. We love you, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.